Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Okay, we asked a question about success, and I don't know the kind of uh, people that you discussed on your table, but um, I think stories of people, kind of rags to riches stories, really capture our imaginations, don't, don't they? Um, was thinking of some people, um, Alan Sugar, Lord Sugar, and all know him. Of course, rose to uh, to prominence as the one who sits on top of the skyscraper and says to those cowering people, "You're fired." But did you know he started as an East Ender, um, in a living in a council flat. Um, and his first job was um, selling um, radio uh, apparatus from a van in the local market, and he gradually uh, became a wealthy businessman. Or Oprah Winfrey, did you know that Oprah Winfrey, actually, she grew up in Mississippi. Um, She came from a very poor family. Her grandmother used to um, create dresses for her out of potato sacks. Um, she's now worth around $3 billion. So she's kind of done all right for herself, hasn't she? Well, today we're going to look at a character um, in Judges who also had a rough beginning to their life, um, but ended up in a position of power. He was something of a self-made man. And his name is Jephthah. He's a controversial figure um, as we'll see, um, somebody who, who made the best of a bad deal, but who went through life with significantly distorted views of himself, of God, and of other people. And those views, unfortunately, led him to make some catastrophic choices. He enjoyed a measure of success, but he left carnage in his wake. Thought of a few political leaders at that point, but I'm not going to mention any names. We're talking a level of dysfunction that wouldn't be out of place in succession or house of cards. Not that you would watch those sorts of programs, I'm sure. And while he isn't a very inspiring character, he is someone that we can learn from. And we're going to do that by basically looking at Jephthah's three um, distorted views and contrasting those with actually a gospel view and then thinking about how does that apply to us. So let's start with a bit of context. If you've heard um, the other um, judges' sermons, You'll know that there's this kind of cycle that keeps repeating through, um, through Judges. The Israelites once again start serving foreign gods um, and they abandon Yahweh, the one true God. So he lets them be oppressed by the peoples around them. And this time it's the Ammonites who oppress them. They cry out to the Lord, but actually this has happened several times before. And God is starting to lose his patience with them. 
In Judges 10 verse 14, he says, Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. Well, obviously, those false gods are not very effective. Um, and the Israelites get rid of them and they start to worship the Lord again. And the Bible tells us that the Lord relents. He could bear Israel's misery no longer. And that's the point where Jephthah enters the story. And right from the start, we see that Jephthah had a distorted view of himself. So let's pick up the story in Judges chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. It says, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. So Jephthah had a hard start in life. His mother was a prostitute, and his half-brothers drove him away. They didn't want him to have any part of the family inheritance. Now, he's obviously something of a natural leader because he goes to this, the land of, of Tob. It sounds very sort of, um, kind of kind of ethereal. It's actually only a few miles away from Gilead. Um, but he gathers this group of, um, of, of sort of rough people around him and basically this gang, and they lead a life of organized crime. And it seems that he was quite good as an organized crime leader because the elders of Gilead recognize his fighting skills and invite him to come and be their commander when they get into a tight spot with the Ammonites. And Jephthah replies to them, Who, me? The one you drove from my father's house? It's interesting. The elders don't try to justify this change of heart with Jephthah. They just say, Nevertheless, we are asking you. Um to come. They just repeat the offer, come with us and fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. 
probably tells you what a difficult spot they were really in, that they were basically willing to swallow their pride and not recognizing there was nobody else um, to go um, and to ask Jephthah to lead them. Still, Jephthah can hardly believe it. He says, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The rejection of those earlier years shape his life. It define him. And it shapes his leadership too. And you see this consistently throughout the story that actually um, Jephthah is a very insecure leader with disastrous consequences, as we'll see. The reality is who we think, if we're in a position of leadership, who we think we are, our identity, profoundly impacts our leadership. The reality is that sometimes life doesn't seem fair. Bad things happen. We might experience rejection, pain, prejudice like Jephthah. But unlike Jephthah, we don't have to let that define us. In Christ, we become new creations. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. It's not that what's happened to us in the past is not important, but through the work of God, it can be redeemed. It can be turned into something that God is able to use for our growth and his glory in Christ. We can experience a new identity as deeply loved children of God. We don't have to be defined by our past like Jephthah was. God can give us a new view of ourselves, one that becomes closer to how he sees us as his precious children. It's not his will that we live in rejection. We are accepted. So let's carry on in this soap opera that is Jephthah's life. Because Jephthah didn't just have a distorted view of himself, Jephthah had a distorted view of God. Having accepted this role as leader, Jephthah goes um, for a negotiated deal with the king of Ammon, their occupier. He asks, what do you have against me that you have attacked my country? And there follows an exchange where Jephthah reveals himself to be quite a skillful negotiator and somebody with a good knowledge of history. But it's to no avail. And so let's pick up the story in chapter 11, verse 28. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me, when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aroah to the vicinity of Minith, as far as Abel-Keronim. Thus Israel subdued 
Ammon. So we see that out of mercy for the Israelites, God is with Jephthah and he defeats the Ammonites. This should be the high point of the story. But Jephthah makes this vow that he will sacrifice whatever comes out of of his house to meet him if God gives him the victory. And catastrophe strikes because what happens? Well, let's read on. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. Why on earth did Jephthah make this terrible vow? Who or what was he expecting to come out of his house? Some Bible scholars believe that he thought an animal was going to walk out of his house, although I think that's probably a little bit far-fetched. And we have to understand that human sacrifice was a very common thing that the foreigners around the Israelites did um, at that time. I think that Jephthah's vow was actually a negotiating tactic with God. God, if you come through for me, I'm going to show my devotion to you in a way that will really cost something. If you notice in the story, Jephthah really didn't need to do this because the Bible tells us that the spirit on the Lord of the Lord came on Jephthah before he made his vow. Indeed, God had told the Israelites that he thinks human sacrifice is detestable. Jephthah's insecurity extended to his relationship with God, I think. He didn't trust that God was going to come through for him. So he tried to make God an offer that he couldn't refuse. He tried to manipulate God. But Jephthah had completely misunderstood the situation. God gave Jephthah victory, not because of anything that Jephthah had done, but because of his mercy for the Israelites. We can't negotiate our way to success with God. There is, of course, a bitter irony in this shocking story because the Bible tells us that, in fact, a sacrifice was needed for us to be able to find favor with God but the sacrifice was made by God himself in sending his own son to die that we might live through his death. Hebrews 10.10 tells us we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, no other sacrifice is needed. 
We cannot earn God's love. This is how Christian author Philip Yancey puts it. He says, grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. So what about us? Do we think deep down that we need to perform in order to earn God's favor? Do we think that God will only love us if we do certain things, if we pray a certain amount, if we be kind, if we turn up for church, if we find different ways to sacrifice? Well, let's take a few minutes and around our tables. Um, let's just look at um, Philip Yancey's quote there. Do you agree with what he says? Um, just take a few minutes to talk about it and, and, and what its implications are. All right, let's carry on. So I don't know what you, you talked about with this quote. Um, and what, what I'm not suggesting is that it doesn't matter what we do or how we live our lives. Our natural response to God's love is to love him in return and to follow him, to do what is right. But we must understand that while what we do will have consequences for us and God live, uh, lets us live out those natural consequences, it doesn't change how much God loves us. Actually, that is a constant. And so we don't need to negotiate with God. In fact, it shows that we don't understand God's love for us if we try to negotiate. God acts out of love and mercy. He's already given the only human sacrifice that was needed. And he is completely trustworthy. So we've seen that Jephthah has a distorted view of himself. He had a distorted view of God. And finally, um, we see that Jephthah had a distorted view of others. Let's read on to chapter 12 says, the Ephraimite forces were called out and they crossed over to Zaphon. They said to Jephthah, why did you go to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We're going to burn down your house over your head. Jephthah answered, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites and although I called, you didn't save me out of their hands. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave me the victory over them. Now why have you come up today to fight me? Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. The Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, you Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim, and whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked him, are you an Ephraimite? If he replied no, they said, all right, say Shibboleth. If he said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Jephthah led Israel for six years, then Jephthah the Gileadite died, and was buried 
in a town in Gilead. Jephthah and the Israelites have defeated the Ammonites. There should have followed a time of peace. But the Ephraimites, this other tribe, are not happy because they didn't get to be part of the victory. Now we know that Jephthah could be a skillful negotiator. And this is a classic example where some diplomatic words should have de-escalated what was, in some ways, a fairly trivial situation. But instead, it quickly heats up and intertribal warfare breaks out within Israel itself. And they pick off the Ephraimites based on how they talk and they kill them. It's an evil act. So why did Jephthah lead the, the Gileadites to do such a thing? Well, now in a position of power and authority, Jephthah is not going to give it away. And when the Ephraimites threaten violence and challenge him, he acts ruthlessly. I think once again we're seeing his insecurity as a leader shine through. He gets rid of those who challenge him straight away. In his eyes, preserving his honor and the honor of his tribe justifies killing what are his fellow Israelites. And I think we see here Jephthah's approach to life is essentially look out for number one because nobody else will. That's been my story um, and so I've just got to look after myself. And many leaders follow such an approach even today. But that is the opposite of the gospel way. Paul writes to the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. It's exactly the opposite of what Jephthah did. He didn't see his position of leadership as a, as a position of service. It's a deeply countercultural uh, command that Paul is giving us there. And it is very hard to live this way. But it is how Jesus lived. And he gave us his example to follow. And the Holy Spirit can empower us and help us to become more like him. It's a lifelong process. We all frequently mess up. But Jesus is willing to forgive us and give us the opportunity to try again. I wonder, would we live differently if we truly put others before ourselves? So we've seen that Jephthah was an insecure leader. He had a distorted view of himself. He had a distorted view of God. He had a distorted view of others. And contrast the results of his leadership with other judges that we've heard about in these sermons. Uh, Rachel told us about Deborah, who led the Israelites to victory over the Canaanites, and then the land had peace for 40 years, one generation in effect. Gideon, we heard last week, Andrew told us, he led the Israelites to victory over the Midianites, and then again the land had peace for 40 years. Although if you read on in the story, you see that Gideon's leadership went quite pear-shaped in his latter years. But Jephthah only led Israel for six years, and then he died. 
this cycle of um, the Israelites following false gods, being oppressed, turning back, falling away again is, is repeating. But as it repeats, as we go through judges, it actually is kind of unraveling. It's getting worse and worse. And we'll hear more uh, next week as we look at Samson. Now, we might be rather judgmental of Jephthah. But for the grace of God, we would go the same way. But praise God that through Jesus, another way is possible. This gospel transformation. So let's think about a response. As we reflect on the sorry saga of Jephthah, and we contrast it with the new life available through Jesus, what's our response? Is a distorted view of yourself holding you back? Like Jephthah, do you let past events define who you are? Do you need to hear uh, Jesus tell you that you are a new creation? That you can be free from the past? Why not ask somebody to pray with you today for a deeper release from uh, what has happened in the past. Or perhaps it's Jephthah's distorted view of God that jumps out to you today. That deep down, if you're honest, um, you recognize that desire to negotiate with God, to try to impress him. You can't believe that if you don't try to impress him, that he's not going to be impressed with you. Perhaps you need to hear that God loves us unconditionally. He's already paid for everything. And the Holy Spirit can transform our minds, can free us, transform our understanding, um, and to, to grasp that more and more deeply. Perhaps you're challenged about valuing others above, your, uh, above yourself. You've been in situations, perhaps you're in a work situation, you've, you feel that you need to, just you've learned to look out for number one, that you need to defend yourself at all costs. And perhaps as you hear Paul's words, to value others above yourself, a specific situation comes to mind where you have the opportunity to do that. And perhaps you need prayer for faith and for courage to step out and to put others first in that situation. Let's thank God that a different way from Jephthah's way is open to us. The Jesus way, the gospel way. And I'm just going to ask uh, Mike and Lisa to come and just lead us in a time of reflection and prayer um, as we just allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.